Let's put a smile on that face. And welcome to another episode of the Arkham Case Files, where the inmates run the asylum. I'm Darren. And I'm Jason. I'm Ian. So, we've had another quiet month for releases from night. Obviously, at the moment, we're still in the middle of the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So, uh, everyone's release schedules are looking a little bit light. Uh, but uh, I think uh, night threw everyone a bit of a curveball. Um, and I certainly wasn't expecting this one. And I don't know if you were at all, Ian. No. Uh, and uh, they, they, they threw out a, a brand new team for us, which is the... Bat Who Laughs team. Um, so you've got a, a new box, which consists of uh, Batman Who Laughs, who, uh, if you if you weren't aware of him, is uh, basically a, a Batman from an alternate, an alternate universe that's been infected by Joker gas, Joker serum, um, and has infected other world's Robins to create his flock of Robins. Um, so it's a really, really interesting character, and I do recommend you read the comic books. It's uh, one on the list of comics that I've got to read. Um, so it's a, it's a nice little box. I think you get the, the the main man himself, who is an absolutely stunning miniature, very reminiscent of um, Judge Death for me from uh, 2000 AD. Yeah. Um, as well as that, you get uh, another version of Damian Wayne, the uh, the crazed version this time. Uh, and four of the uh, the named Robins uh, to to add to his flock. Uh, as they're a team, they've got quite a, a limited number of models that they can uh, add in. And uh, the the only other model that I can think of off the top of my head in the list is the uh, the separate version of the Commissioner, which is basically Commissioner Gordon, but this time dual wielding a couple of handguns, uh, wearing a mask because he's been infected too, uh, and he's another option to to buy into the team. Um, we've not had a chance to get them on the table, though, yet, have we, Ian? No, I have not. And, and Commissioner just reminds me of Old Hush. Um, and it makes me sad I can't bring him in another crew right now, based on his role. Um, and then, I mean, Batman Who Laughs is just, he's iconic of the new kind of Batman stuff. And I, I think it's, it's interesting that they're releasing him. I think it's more due to the COVID that they're getting released right now over some of the other stuff. Um, talking to a few people who are in the know, it seems like that the reason why is the amount of cards that Knight is unable to get printed and shipped to them. Um, whereas most of their models seem to be able to be produced quickly, the cards seem to be the issue. And uh, with all this shipping and stuff going on right now, I think that's been hard for them to be able to release like everybody else's crews, which is every, what everybody's asking for. Yeah, absolutely. Because we've, we've touched on it before and just how important the, the crew decks are, which is why we take the time to go through them when they do come out. Um, but I, for one, am, am really glad that they're able to, to put this crew out. And 
Um, as always, we don't do model reviews. We don't talk about all of the stats, but they do have one really interesting mechanic in there, which is the ability to actually spawn their own models from killing the enemy, um, which is something that stood out to me. What about you, Ian? I like it because it's, it's the old... Um, it's, it's like Teen Titans and some of the other crews that have like, oh, we get free points, and it's their way to get uh, their 70 free points. Um, it's just they have to actually kill you instead. And I, I like that. I think that's a good way to do three points. And I have to say, the actual uh, the actual models. I mean, I, I love the old Batman Who Laughs model, the one that, that came with uh, with Red Death uh, and the Drowned. Yeah. Um, but the new one absolutely smashes it out of the park. Yeah, I, I I like the old one. The old one. My only problem is it's a one piece model, and it, you can see kind of problems with that in that model um it's more 2d whereas this one is very 3d dynamic and, and i don't understand the sites i don't remember them having one in the in the comic but i could be wrong but it looks badass on it yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, a decent painter is going to get that model, pick it up and do an absolutely amazing job with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Um, and they're an interesting one as well, because um, with the way that teams work when it comes to building their decks, obviously uh, Batman Who Laughs built into his rules has got the access to both the Batman and the Joker cards. Um, so basically, if you've got the back to Gotham box, um, you're able to put together a pretty interesting deck, would you say? Oh, yeah. I uh, Looking at playing Suicide Squad in the CTS thing, getting access to that joker deck and batman deck build some really interesting stuff and then with the access to detectives in that crew uh, makes the like oh unlocks that batman deck really a, a lot so i mean looking at it is it something that you see yourself picking up uh i keep putting it in the cart and taking it out of the cart uh, so yeah <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's it's one of those that I think it's a simple contained crew that is you don't really expect them to have much stuff. Maybe one or two other models in that seventy point range, but I don't I don't see them really releasing anything else for this crew, um, which is fine. I think it's perfectly fine. Like it is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's there's one other release. Um, which uh, which we want to touch on briefly, which is a, a free agent, um, and it's uh, someone that's a little bit close to your heart. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know how to say it more than Psycho Pirate. I don't know him from the comics. I know he's from the Infinite Crisis and the other Crisis, whatever it's called, um, and he's one of the only people that remember it. I, my basic knowledge of comics with him. I actually like him from um, Hero Clicks way back in the day. Uh, did Sakaar uh, and I just I just fell in love with his character. I think, he, I think it's the same model, almost part for part the same model as that first Psycho Pirate. And I, I don't know. I just like it. Um, his rules are good. He's cheap. He's a support piece that's gonna activate your beaters or kind of disrupt your opponent i think he's a good model my only thing i'm sad on is that he doesn't have a uh uh 
uh, objective uh, like the other two that we saw in the same vein of Mothman and and Titan or excuse me Killer Moth. Yeah, and um, I think I'm I'm quite pleased with him because I think the temptation would have been from from talking to people who do know him out of the comics, he could have been gone down that sort of mind control route. But when you think about things like Ivy, and we've already got um, Mad Hatter in there as well, I think they've done something really interesting with him, and again made him a, a really cool piece. Yeah, and I think he's I think he's going to come into play with more like some of the other crews, um, um, like. Mad Hatter is very good for Hussey just because he has his own equipment he brings. But like some of the other like Freeze or League or Owl, I think it's, well, maybe not Owl. Um, but other crews that play more melee centric, I can see them taking him as a good cheap free agent um, just to support their henchmen. Yeah, so like like we said, there's not a lot uh, to talk about in the in the uh, the most recent releases. Um, obviously, next month we'll we'll see what Knight's able to do. You know, with the uh, lockdowns being slowly eased around uh, the world, and uh, obviously we'll keep you updated if we hear anything about the printing issues that we've come across, um, both here and on the Discord. Uh, but the next thing that we're going to talk about is the recent TTS league that uh, our friend Jason was running. Um, so TTS League just kind of, uh, I was really happy with the results and I think everyone had a great time. I know five, I think five players didn't finish the fourth round, but I mean, when you're dealing with people in Germany and in the US, just all over the world, it's about time someone actually has connection to problems. But with the exception of that, which for the most part was only screwing over Ian because uh, that yep. game actually seemed interesting and could have easily gotten to top three, I think. No, top four, you could have easily gotten into. Because uh, everyone from, like, top five to top eight basically all scored 13 bat match points. Um, which we were in modified bat match points. So it was, like, same as before, just a loss. I'm sorry, a total victories worth six points, and the loser still gets two points instead of one like previously, uh, I think that went great because I know it sucks when you lose and you're like, oh, I couldn't stop you just because you did amazing. <laughs> Do I really deserve less? Um, right. Yeah, especially because like the victory point difference was out of this world. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm over here scoring like, you know, 40 to 50 points a game, ended up with 122. You know, yet someone at like 70 points could lose every game. And yet he scored more points than, like, the middle table, uh, victory point-wise. He, he lost every game, straight up, because court suck. Because um, the generic deck. So I was really interesting, like, the, like the little back to the background things I was doing. Uh, going over to the winners, Richard. I almost called it John John, just to be like, you know, random person name. Just throw it in there. Darren. Whatever. This is a running joke of me and Ian not getting his name right, but Richard uh, won. He was running Batman. Um, i trying to remember his list. He ran one with the Oracle and White Knight and then just some cops. Uh, it was Catwoman on the Batpod, which seemed to be a tape that him and John 
What's his last name? Vaughn. We'll just go by the Discord users. Vaughn. Uh, not Fuller. Weezer? Woozle. Woozle. There we go. There was 13 people that played. Um, they both had very similar lists. Uh, so they had one with Oracle, one with Catwoman on Bike. And then uh, Richard had White Knight. He did a lot of cops. Or no, he had, uh, he had Bruce Wayne, Millionaire. Um, then Richard's other list was Batman with Cape, uh, a.k.a. New Rebirth Batman. Then it was White Knight, because he's the best. Larita, Bullock, the other detective. You know, everything a Brave and the Bold list really wants. Double radios, all that stuff. Um, he won all four of his games, landed with 20 Batman points, and 100 victory points, putting him at the winner. I, um, I almost kept him to a tie. Yeah. I lost by you know, I knew my game, I, I ran him last round, which I got to be honest, I definitely picked the worst of my list because I was like, well, I'm the TO. Is it really great for like, oh, yeah, I just beat you like, bam. And then it advertises like I beat everyone. Congratulations. It's like, nah, I'll, I'll play my fat box list. So, you know, if I win, it's at the grin of my teeth. And I had just a terrible deck. I just constantly like kept getting three of the same card, and I'm like, oh, oh that's great. Um, so I ran the bat box list. Not much I could say about it. Bruce sucked, and that put me in second place. I won, got uh, two wins, one total victory, and uh, one loss. Put me at a uh, 18 bat match points and 122 victory points. Um, yeah. Just had a bad deck against Richard, and he he really does know this game pretty well. Uh, me on the other hand was like, whatever, I'm just like gonna half ass think this through. Um, then third place, I mean, no one's surprised it was Court Merc, Court Make. Uh, he had Teen Titans at 18 bat match points. Uh, I literally only beat him out just by like two victory points. I think he had 118, 116. He had a list with Donna. Then he had a list with Nightwing and Starfire. Titans are strong. I I messed him up with my Ivy list on his request. Because he's like, I don't know, I was over here like, I'll play the bat box list against you. That's fine. I I can do it. He's like, no, no, no. So that was fun. Um... I'm not going to go through all the placements. I think top four was Chris, who had 15 bat match points. And then literally the rest are 13 across the table until you get to like ninth, where it's 11th. And I think the full list is up on the uh, the Arkham Rejects, isn't it, Jason? Um, it's up on the Arkham Rejects, and I've posted it on the two bigger Batman Facebook pages. So one that aren't affiliated with any podcast. It's literally just a Google Doc with everyone's list and placement. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, um, just to announce that I'm here, I did send both prizes out. Um, I'm not certain if the one to our random prize is going to get there. Um, Yeah. Because DHL is not the greatest. 
So yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> Tobias, I'm sorry. Um, hey, I am tracking it and best as I can. So hopefully it gets there. I will let you know if I have if it gets returned. <laughs> So overall, Jason, it sounds like it was a really good event. Is there anything that you would change for your next one or any improvements that you could think of off the back of this one? Yep, and I've already basically writing those down. I want to handle plot cards differently. Uh, so for a quick chime in, what I did this time was if you're a crew that is a generic deck, I just said you're not playing with plot cards. Uh, and then if you're a crew with access to it, you're going to. And I still found players like, you know, Ian that were like, ah, I lost five points just because of plot cards. It's like, well, okay. So I think this time I'm just going to be, you're always going to use it. It's optional if you even want to put your cards down on it. And I like the idea of spending resource points to just get rid of the card like at any, at any time. Uh, so I got that written down. And then there's some other interactions like, uh, Teen Titans can't take the extra plant card. <laughs> it's just silly. I mean, is it really that great? I don't know. But I definitely do think it's a feels-bad moment when it's like, oh, you scored two of your easiest cards that I had nothing to stop you with. Because Brave and the Bold and... Um, well, not League, but Brave and the Bold have a lot of protection cards. And that was a complaint a few people were telling me. It's like, well, that's just stupid. And it's like, okay, that is kind of just wow and then also limiting it to three plot cards so the idea really is just you shouldn't be getting screwed over with plot cards unless you are very much aware you're going to get screwed over with plot cards so you have to double down on i'm gonna screw up so you'd have to put everything on your cards you'd have to spend all your resource points and then you know have to constantly keep doing that um i think the best or plot cards, is you do not put cards underneath it until the third portion of that objective has been completed. Yeah. So whatever that actual special thing is, until that is completed, I don't think you should be forced to put cards under there. Uh, see, my point to that, though, is those usually don't get completed until the end of the round. So it's like, and this, that's that's why I said forced. Yeah. If you think if you're gonna do it, mm -hmm. you can put your cards under there. But if you don't complete it, then don't complain about it. Yeah. I think you should have that player agency there. But basically, after you complete that portion, then you're forced to put it under there. Yeah. That would be my fix. And this is me as not as a game designer or anything like that. And I haven't tested it out, so I can't really yeah. say that's better. I'm just, that's the thing I feel like is there's no player agency with it, mm -hmm. and it just feels bad. Yeah. Like having five to six points behind the plot card is, it feels bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know, like, I, I think I only had one game where I got stuff on another plot card that was against Richard. Of course, it wouldn't have changed the difference, but it would have certainly made me feel better. Um, you know, the problem, well, I don't, I don't really see the problem with that. My idea was more just, you have all the tools, so, like, you could just put it willingly in, and you could be like, well, I don't really have these resource points, so if it really does fail at me, I could just get rid of it and immediately score my cards. Because I, 
I hate how the loot cards just get rid of it, but discard your cards? Like, what? No. It would actually yeah. be good if you just scored your cards. Um, yeah, and it was going to be X plus one resource point to do. X being how many cards under. So, if I only have one card on my resource, or under my plot card, it'd be two resource points. So, you know. That was... I mean, you've talked about the, the people that came at the top. And I think it's something, again, that people have seen through the lists. We have found that the top of the, the results and the standings were the crews that do have their own decks, weren't they, yeah. Jason? Yeah. And the, and the... Only three people played generic deck crews, two of which um, were at pretty much the bottom. And Penguin was kind of mid-tier, although I think the Bane player, no offense, Ian, but I'm like, I think he, Bane would be able to punch the crap out of Suicide Squad. So it'd be really hard for you to score, especially after that new nerf. So if he actually played his game, yeah. I think he would have done sort of well. Um, but yeah, you just I think the big thing is people just didn't play them with the exception of those three. Because uh, no one wants to play a crew with a generic deck. It's not fun and you're having a huge problem scoring. And I know we've touched on it in, a, in previous episodes. So basically, I think we've come to the conclusion that the generic deck is there to maybe supplement the crew decks and give you a couple of options of things to sub in and sub out, but isn't a viable deck on its own. Yeah. I it agree. needs an expansion. It mm-hmm. needs an expansion. Yeah. It like, it's, the, it's the portions of a deck, and I think what they really need to do is make a generic secondary deck that has like what they do with like the detective trait and then the assassin traits for mm-hmm. these other crews, do stuff like that in the generic. Be like, if you have this, you have this, you can score this. Yeah. So that everybody can have it, and you can bold crews in different ways um, to score those kind of cards. Um, I don't know how they would do it, um, but I think. I think that would be a quick and easy fix um, to make it so everybody can play right now yeah. um, a little bit better. And it and not that, honestly, it would make the other crews even better to more specialize, but at the same time, at least then... Yeah, it's, you're really Bane just and other crews for those other crew. The other five crews I don't have decks yet. Bane, Freeze, Penguin, OC... Well, Freeze isn't a crew yet. It doesn't have a leader. Anymore. Well, he still has a list on the equipment from on the roll. Oh, I know. And He's still a crew. Yeah. He just I He's I not don't a really crew anymore because everything is an no. eternal. Um, yeah. Which I, I I don't know. That's one thing I'm like really today <laughs> forever. But like whatever. I I honestly think he's one of the next crews to come out. Like I I truly believe as. As what they did with Batman Who Laughs, I truly believe he's probably the next like big crew to come out. All right, well, I'll that. Because like I don't see them recasting all the the Riddler crew, the or some of the other uh, Bat Box crews that have already in Bat Boxes. Um, I mean, they did that for the. Well, they didn't really re. I mean, they didn't like. Well, I mean, they recasted them, but they didn't. That Bat Box is the same. Yeah, just I, don't, I don't think people are really like hoping they'll do new stuff, but if they they might just make a whole new free stuff. It's easier to sell. 
We've been saying that forever, though, haven't we? Well, we don't uh, know the community has. It's like, Cruz is going to be yeah. next, bro. He's, he's coming. But it's like... I, I, out of all the crews that really... Like, Riddler just needs the cards. So you just need to re- release the bat box. Yeah. Same with... I mean, OC needs a bat box, but... I mean, they could get one, but I don't know who you take out other than Black Mask. Yeah. Penguin just needs a deck. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the same thing. Like, all those other bat box crews, like, I honestly, I think they're all sitting there ready to go, and they just don't have the cards yet. Yeah. Like, my conversations with people that are playtesters, it sounds like those decks are ready. Mm-hmm. It just, they're not printed yet in at nice to be able to be shipped yeah and that's what's causing these two releases a month and it's like people are like oh but why aren't we getting stuff well because covid and they've had a problem with these cards from the outset of third edition yeah so we need to, we know we know what we need yeah. but overall out of uh, out of ten, how would what score would you give the TTS that you you ran, um, Jason? Man, I'm biased. Ian, what score would you give my TTS league? <laughs> I mean, I ran it. Um, I've been looking it at was... TTS every day. I'm very biased. Yeah, you are. Um, honestly, I I I liked everything you did with it. Um, I'd gotta give it probably a seven, um, and that's nothing to do against you. I feel like I feel like right now it was needed, um, and it lasted just long enough that people started falling off. Yeah, <laughs> any longer, and it would have that, failed horribly. That fourth round, I was um, very much like, "No, I could have pulled the plug sooner." I was basically just waiting for your game, Ian. <laughs> um, oh, I know. Yeah, um, and it should have happened. I, I the other guy moved. Um, I'm not going to call him out on it. Yeah, no, but and it, we just kind of—I mean, it's just—I mean, and I got busy with work, so yeah. it it happened. And it didn't and ultimately. Oh, it didn't really hurt anyone waiting because I was like, all it's no. stopping is just me going, "Who won?" Which I basically already said. I said right after our game with Richard, and I was like, "Richard beat me." And if anyone's falling, it's like I've been beating everyone, and that means no one can beat Richard. Uh, that's just yeah. what happens. Um, yeah, I think next time, and I'll, I'll talk to you kind of offline about it, but I've been in some other PTS-like things that I think work better for this environment with people across the country. All right. I can kind of talk to you offline I about it, but I think, I think it won't be a tournament tournament um, mm-hmm. in the same aspect of like where it's Swiss Parrot. Yeah. Um, I think Swiss pairings is really hard to do. Yeah, I had a few other ideas in Swiss, which I might look at for next time. Like, one of them was almost like double Swiss, I guess, where you got two optional opponents. So it's like, you know, if I can't play one, I can play the other. So that way it's not like the best player can just pick pick whoever he wants to play against. Because I've had some leagues local that were like that, and it's like, okay. So the other way to do it is get people's time cards of like, hey, these are the times I'm going to be available yeah. for like this or this weekend mm-hmm. or this three weeks or whatever. Just get that. You don't need that, but that would be the best thing. 
Yeah. Have it all guys to Eastern time mm-hmm. and then set people up in like three person pairs and be like, okay, you play these three people. Those are your three games. Set them up whenever you want. You can do it in whatever order you want. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. This mission and this event is for this round with this opponent, then this round with this opponent, and so on and so forth. So that you kind of build a three-round game for everybody. Yeah. And that's what I did for, or I didn't do it. I, I joined an Infinity tournament like that, and it, it worked out probably pretty well. And It was only a weekend. It was a little hard to get games in, um, but I got it working pretty well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the best way to do it. And yeah, you're going to have a whole bunch of people with three O's. You're going to have a whole bunch of people who and then in that one win and like two losses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Might be a little bit harder to get who's the best, but it to me, it's just getting people to play. Yeah, that's, all the that's ultimately what the idea of the TTS League is for. Uh, just play the games. So... This TTS obviously is now coming to an end and congratulations to Richard and on a well-deserved win. Um, we will keep you updated on the Discord uh, to let you know when the next one's coming through. And it sounds like uh, Jason and Ian are going to come up with some uh, cunning plans for us uh, yeah. going forward to let us know what the format will be for the next one. Um, one of the things that um, we've been talking about in the background is the way that uh, the game has changed since second edition particularly as we've seen more and more games being played um, in third through the TTS um, and online. So one of the key things that we talked about in our last season last year, uh, and this was before Ian joined us, was how important the pregame sequence could be. And when you talked to players like Cookie, um, it could actually win the game before a single dice was rolled. Um, So what we wanted to do for the second half of this episode and the first half of the next episode is talk a little bit about the pre-game sequence and deployments. Um, and Ian was just going to run through a little bit about the way the, uh, the pre-game works in the new edition. So over to you, Ian. Cool. So um, if you want to open your rule book to like the last pages of it, um, it's the prepare a game. So, and like, I am guilty of this in every game that I game system I play in. I never read this. Um, yeah. And it's apparent whenever I come to the table and I always have that feeling of like, how do I set up a game? Mm-hmm. What do I do again? Do I, do I do this first and then this? So this is how third edition Batman is. You're, you set up your game board. That's the standard purchase by everybody. You say what your scenery is, what are, they, what are those things. You do your urban furniture, which is urban furniture is your street lights and your uh, or street, yeah street lamps and your sewers. Unlike second edition, you're both going to get two of those. You're going to roll off at this point for initiative. So you, know, you and your opponent will roll off. Whoever wins is first. They get wins initiative. And that goes through the rest of the pregame thing. Um, no roll for every single different thing you're going to do. So your two street lamps you're going to place uh, going back and forth between you and your opponent, not within eight inches of each other, not within two inches of, of any side of a board. Uh, street lamps, I think, are less important than they used to be um, due to 
lights, you being able to shoot in the dark anyway. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of, I don't think street lights are as important as they used to be other than maybe blocking people's movement. Yeah, actually, I, I think they're about the same as they used to be. I mean, minus two dice when you're shooting in, in the dark is pretty bad. And if you're shooting in the dark, it's a decent chance you're shooting out of uh, range or they're behind cover. It's it's really yeah. just it's a hard limit to a pretty hard to like a doable limit, you know. Um, I but I, I think everybody who was shooting outside of twelve inches in the old edition, at least, either had night vision or had uh, the other one that ignored cover and pings and line of sight, whatever that other one was called. Yeah, uh, scopes. Or scopes. There we go. Uh, I think a lot of people yeah, do yeah. have access, to this, but even like Lorita or like. Wells are all these medium range guns that are not unlimited, but just medium range. Those yeah. ones are definitely like, oh, my max range is out of line of out of line of sight. Yeah, uh, of course you got. I, I just, I just never really seen them come into play. That was just my like. I'm not. Yeah, I haven't either. I think on top of buildings. I think on top of buildings is probably the best place to put lance mm-hmm. uh, because then if you get a sniper up there, at least then you're able to see that sniper. Yeah. Um. That's. Yeah, that's the best I can do. And I usually use short-range stuff anyway, so I don't really care. Yeah, I just don't see people bringing guns, or if they do, it's like, it's basically just like Lorita, or it's your scary gun people. So it's not just like the whole yeah. crew. Maybe this will feel different when OC gets attacked, because it's their crew that you might just have a bunch of pistols or a bunch of like medium-range guns. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the next thing you're going to you're gonna place down is your sewer markers. Uh, these are the basically the same as the other one, as the other edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you use, except to use your manipulate action to go through it, which means uh, if you're got a uh, leader nearby you, you can go through a sewer and then attack. It's uh, just huge. It does count. You still move. You're still counting as moving, but uh, you can still do a melee attack or a range attack. Mm-hmm. All these or if you are inspired, you can do an extra manipulation. Um, yep. So you're really looking for people that are handyman or henchmen. Um, is there anyone else? I guess anyone with the amphibious trait to go through for free. Yeah. Uh, they are definitely getting the best out of this. Lorita's, Lorita, anyone with assault. This is kind of something they're always going to keep in the back of their mind because they could just pop through, and they ain't losing any dice because they're assault, and they could just light you up. Yeah. And I think it, one of the things that we did mention off air before we were talking is we are still working on the the assumption that even though you can stand on suspect markers and sewers and lamps do count as markers you're not actually able to stand on them. They're still treated as miniatures in the same way that they were in second edition. Right. So obviously if we're, if we're wrong on that, you know, let us know. Um, but that is the, the basis that we're working on. Yeah. Um, do you still think that there is important to place as they were in second edition though, either of you? I think there's still places where you can place them to do those tricks to keep somebody so they can't get in base contact with your sniper on a building. Yeah, that still uh, works. Um, there's certain events that but stop that. the fact that you can go through a sewer and attack now, mm-hmm. I think limits that. And you can just move through lamppost, period, because you can move through 
you know, yeah. models and like lamps and stuff. So yeah, you can just move through them. So it doesn't limit your movement. It just you cannot if we're playing with you can't land on them. Uh-huh. You can still do that trick of like hiding your sniper in the corner of a building. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the the urban furniture. What do we come on to next? So then you go into the deployment zone, and this is interesting compared to last edition. So this edition, you have a deck of uh, deployment zones, and standardly shuffle those up and you draw one. So this is so you don't even know your deployment zones whenever you're placing your urban. Um, and then from that, the of course, when you're with the initiative, chooses which zone they want to want to be in. So either A or B, yeah. or black and yeah. white, or black and mm-hmm. of course with tournaments, you are gonna know which scenario you have. So you have yeah. that going into your mind, which you know maybe that's not going by the book. But if I was playing a game. That's always been the way how I do it, just because you do it that way in tournaments. Yeah. Unless that match really changes things up, then obviously I'll probably just end up following that. I would definitely. Yes, like and that. I think. Yep. So, I could the uh, the way with these is it's similar to how the deployments are in the old bat match and then there's those other little like objectives and stuff like that where they keep extra points mm-hmm. in addition they just do extra things we're going to go through them here in a little bit about a couple of them and then we'll finish them up next next one but uh yeah they're i i like the deployment um, after that we have the advanced rule based on the event, which is another thing um, which is basically a whole bunch of wacky, different things that can happen to your game that affected, I think, one of the most. Um, they have a big effect on or have a big uh, They can affect which crew you bring in out of your two list pairings. They definitely affect what objective cards you can have. And then you go draw your objective cards, uh, choose your plot cards, you're going to play them. And then you deploy your And then you go into the actual mm-hmm. um, I don't really have anything else to say on those Yeah, I mean, the only thing I want to chime in there is just I don't really think the events are going to change the cards you take. Maybe deployment zone. If you have cards that are like get in the opponent's deployment zone and do X or Y, you don't want to take that up the deployment zone. Crazy far from you. Uh, but at least in the games I've noticed, you're basically just taking your deck based off the opponent's crew and yours. I disagree. <laughs> uh, I think it's more like unlike the last edition where you're always deployment zone where you had like set objectives you were going for you had like four that were actually usable yeah. I don't know that's uh, I think the deployment zone and the event combination um, 
forces you to change your deck compared to whatever those are. I guess I should also try. I'm also not considering teams right now. I'm just thinking normal crews, and it's like you don't really have that many things yeah. to change that drastically. I, I think there's a decent amount. Like even even League, Batman, and Joker. Like I would not always take all 17 or all 20 of their cards. I take 15, 12 to 15 of them, and then fill the rest in with generics based on what these were. Like, if I'm playing, I'll just go real quick into one of the missions we're going to go about today, which is standoff. I would not take any killing card. Just because of the turn in one. Any of my, in any of them. Just because of turn one. I don't want any... I, Unless I can play them as a another ability, like the other ability on them is yeah. good, I wouldn't take any of them. Like I, I don't, I don't think. I think that deck or that mission purely try to place as many suspect markers down, and then score. I think it's fine though, just because usually you're not killing turn one anyway, unless you're like, you know, you have a what's the word? You just have some way to get across the table really fast. So what I think is worth doing is we're going to talk about four of the different um, deployment types um, today. And like we said, we're going to talk about the, the second four and the events next time. So what we'll do is we'll take a, a brief break and then we'll come back and we'll start talking about the first four. Uh, and we're going to start with uh, with Chance Encounter and we'll, we'll get a bit of a debate going because it's interesting for me to hear as like a neutral party, like the two opposing sides of the argument on how much of an effect they can have. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. So we're now going to have a look at the first uh, four of the different setup types that were coming in the basic uh, Back to Gotham game box. Um, now, we were going to look at them in alphabetical order, but we decided to tweak it just a little bit because the last one that we're going to talk about, I think, is one of the two really interesting ones that are different to a lot of other miniature games um, that are out there. Uh, but starting off, uh, the first uh, type is called Chance Encounter. Uh, now, this one is a fairly traditional style of uh, setup. So three by three board as per normal in Batman. And there are two deployment zones where each seed is basically on the opposite side of the table. Now, the difference here is that you have section A and section B of your deployment zones. So if you're aware in Batman, you, you split your crews up uh, to deploy. And for this one, uh, the first group must be deployed in the A zone, which is a four inch band, which is four inches onto the table. So your models are already between four and eight inches from your baseline. And then your second group, which is group B, is set up between the baseline and four inches onto the table. Uh, aside from that, like I say, it's a very, very basic one that a lot of uh, war gamers and tabletop gamers will be familiar with. Um, so, Ian, what do you think on this one? And how does it affect your choice on crews and, and list building? Um, actually, I, I like this one because it's a very simple, it doesn't really change anything. This is like your standard set up and go with, I mean, you do kind of want to choose who you're going to have in Group A and Group B because four inches is a big deal in Batman. Um, not as much in third edition, but I mean, it's, other than that, I mean, it's pretty simple. I don't see this one really affecting your crew decision or your cards you're going to take. 
Um, what about you, Jason? Do you think the same? Um, yeah, for the most part. I mean, if you're going in, um, you you, you want to be a quick crew. I wouldn't want to take a list with a bunch of slow henchmen. So, you know, four inches off the table for half my crew. It can, you know, be a little rough on turn one. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's fine. I like it a lot. I, I'm curious, so um, I played a game with Richard and we started realizing the uh, the Birds of Prey cards for, which one is it? Um, not no protection needed. It's the one where you have to be in the deployment zone. It's the nest. These are different deployment zones. So that might be easier to score off here. So, you know, if you, the opponent has a lot of models in their deployment zone A, you go into their deployment zone B. Assuming that's how it's supposed to be played. Yeah, it, I think I think to me, just looking at this one, even taking, you know, the, the Batman uh, look out of it, this is the sort of thing that, uh, you know, if you were going to a three or a four round event, you might see on, you know, round one. Uh, before the, uh, the the pairings start to get drawn up, just as a way of getting you into the game um, without having anything too detailed or too complicated to to get you going. Um, yeah. Would you t- you guys think the same? This would be yeah. the fourth round if I was ever going to a tournament or setting up a tournament. This would be the fourth round, so you don't have to think. Yeah, that that that's true. Because to me, I like to have simple setup and and scenario in the first and the fourth, so that one because people have just arrived to get into it, have the really interesting stuff two and three, and then something nice and straightforward to determine the results last mm-hmm. round. So I, I could agree with you on that one. So I, I have a question with this one. They did stack it, right? Because the black one, your A is at the beginning of your deployment zone and B is in the middle, where the yellow zone, it's A is the farthest away from your board edge and B is the one that's closest to your board edge. Yeah, they, they fact it so they... they, they basically mirror each other rather than being A, B, A, B on the deployment. So if you look at the card, uh, and th- this is the card straight out of the box, uh, section A for one of the players is 0 to 4 inches, and section A for the other player is 4 to 8 inches. It is the same for each player. So each player is, section A is 0 to 4, and section B is 4 to 8. Uh, but yeah, good, good point, good spot, because uh, we know how some of these issues do crop up on this first run of cards. So the next one is Jewel. And this one is a corner deployment. Um, each each crew sets up in opposite corners of the board. And basically you have to set up within 12 inches of the corner itself. Um, in addition to that, you place an event marker on the map, uh, which is shown on the card so it's basically at a 45 degree angle across the table the the easiest way to describe it is if you drew a line between the two corners the event car the suspect marker is 12 inches in for one player and the opposite corner is 12 inches in for the other corner Uh, models with a free agent rank must be deployed complete within four inches of that marker and only models with a free agent rank can move within four inches of the marker so, a little bit different in the fact that you've got corner deployments further apart from each other, and also limiting who can go within four inches of that marker um, by, by forcing them to A, deploy there, and B, they're the only people that can go close to it. So, um, Jason, what do you think on this one? Uh, it's annoying. <laughs> that basically sums up all my opinions. 
you know, the event markers I've noticed are really like they're in your deployment zone. So it, your crew, it's like 12 inches is a decent amount of deployment zone, but since you can't move within the uh, four inches of the event marker, it just forces you to be even back. Um, and then I noticed like Fridge is just, unless you're Harley Quinn or someone really fast where you're trying to like sneak into the enemy's deployment zone, I didn't really find myself hanging out there. Yeah, Ian, Ian, what what do you think on this one? Because those event markers do do make a big difference to your deployment and how far you can actually go in your in your deployment zone. So I have a couple of theories with this one. So this one is very similar. If you remember the old, I think it was like an L deployment where you had like eight inches or six inches off of the each side, and then it went out twelve inches from the corner. Like you had that big L. This yeah. one yeah. is basically that, except it's now a radius where the four inch in the center is like you're not able to deploy anymore. So it, if you just treat it like that, I think it's similar to that of thing, except now you can't move through that way. And that's how I'm rationalizing it in my brain. I feel like this one, if you're playing, one, if you know this is going to be a thing, I think you should build to have a free agent. Um a melee or ranged oriented free agent because I mean if you're in that marker you're not going to get in base contact with by mooks if you're a ranged guy and if you're a melee guy it just you're that much closer to the opponent um, I don't know that's kind of my thoughts of it I don't really I mean it's good for teams because um, especially like Team Titans or uh, Watchmen you're all going to be right there yeah I mean, that's the thing. Maybe this is more for the teams and the free agent heavy list. I, I played this one twice. One, I was just a bat box bird, so I had Harley. And the other one, I didn't have a free agent, if I recall correctly. And the opponent didn't have a free agent either time, so we were like, oh, this is annoying. Yeah, because yeah, I think with, with the standard lists that aren't the teams, you are limited, unless you're charismatic, to just having that free agent, that single free agent. Um, and to me, it, when I'm looking at the sort of free agents that I would want to be taking in this sort of list, you know, if I can get someone either with a ranged weapon that's going to not be able to be taken out by enemy melee, you know, some, something like a, a dead shot or um, uh, there, are, there are other options out there. That, Captain Cold, yeah, exactly. Or someone that's actually going to mess with your opponent, um, and again, it's going to be protected by them not being able to come in. So someone like um, Scarecrow or Mad Hatter, I think these guys could see real play in it. I mean, they, they have the uses anyway, but I think they'd sort of double down on this deployment, you know, yeah. almost having the zone where of being really hard to deal with as well as having, you know, the normal, the normal abilities that they have. Agreed. I, I, I like it. I don't, it's something simple-ish, and it's, it's a nice little change with the standard corner deployment. Yeah. I could agree with that. I do just think setting it up has been annoying, but if, you know, I'll play it more, see if I it's, still think it's that. No, oh, what was the one where you set up three boxes in last edition, or six boxes? In chaos in the city. Yeah, it's no chaos yeah, that's, in the city. It is definitely. <laughs> The only other thing I would say with this one is because you are losing that four inch chunk around one of the markers, it might actually suit, you know, setting up a smaller crew of sort of six to seven models. Again, it tends to move you away from having that nine to 10 models that you sometimes saw in second edition. Yeah. 
Um, but but I think the game sort of pushes us a little bit towards that. The sort of six to eight seems to be the sweet spot at the moment for a lot of crews, I'm finding. With the exception of Joker, yeah. So that's yeah, with the, with the exception, yeah. And not counting any of the generic deck crews, because we don't speak of that. <laughs> um, so uh, the next one, and the third one, is uh, Secure the Area. Um, now, this one has, again, it's corner deployment, uh, but this time... Uh, it, you have your crew split into two sections and you have opposite corners to deploy in. And basically there's an, a, a triangle, which is eight inches from each corner along and then draw a line between them opposite. Um, as well as that, you can choose one friendly henchman model and that model is not deployed normally. Instead, before rolling for initiative in any round, you may place the model in contact with a friendly suspect marker and then remove the marker. So, Ian... We're starting to get into the more interesting things now, playing around with the suspect markers. So what do you think of this one? I I enjoy this one. I mean, it's you can set up some kind of cheeky stuff with a henchman and a, and um, with your suspect markers. Um, it's cool. I mean, the, you're not going to get a lot out of it, but I mean, it's, it's something you can do. Um, I think the notice with this one, you do not have to deploy in both of your of those deployment zones you only um you just have those options so if you really want to you can all be together so they aren't forcing a mob crew to split up uh, which i kind of like but if you want to have a fast crew you can kind of split between the two and corner your opponent from two sides um, yeah, and I think that's a big difference from second edition because in second edition where you were forced to split up, you know, it used to really heavily penalise some crews that used to rely on things like follow me and inspire, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing and it did make them think, but it could make it really tough for them in some scenarios. Yeah. Um, Jason, what do you think on it? Uh, basically the same as Ian. I really like this one. I've played it a few times. Um, and it's just a cool mechanic having a henchman saved for later. Um, what what do you think with the fact that you know we're starting to see more of the named characters coming in as henchmen? Um, you know, so you know at the top end you're seeing people like um, Damian Wayne, Robin at sixty points as a henchman, um, or members of the Court of Owls, or even being able to put someone like Harrison Wells in a really good sniping position after you set up a suspect marker. Yeah, so um, that one was, up with like Harvey Bullock or something. <laughs> So, do you think that starts to influence the way you build your crew to 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 put that big, expensive uh, henchman that's going to swing in, or do you just find that you're still building the same crews you were before? I haven't took this one into account when building list. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was the same thing. Uh, I I could see it making me switch between one of my lists if I had a big henchman like that. Yeah. So, like, if you're brave in the bold, you're probably going to have a one of those big henchmen in one of your list. Um, but the other crews, I mean, Killer Moth or Kite Man, they're not big enough to want to put in this. They're probably better off just doing whatever they do. Um, high security is yes, hidden. You don't really need to do those. Um, you know, I just feel like most of the bad guy crews, they don't. They aren't showing up the big guys. Maybe with the exception of Ivy. I mean, Heavy Trooper is kind of interesting, but he already has... Um, he's, he's assault. He, he's, he's so hard to kill. So, I feel like yeah. you're probably just better off keeping him on the table. 
Yeah, and again, because you, you've only got four turns, you know, you are you are holding something off the table, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, You're only six so, inches yeah. away from your opponent, too, with this one, if you really think about it, because it's eight inches in each corner. I think that's 16, if I'm doing math right. Yeah, you're 20 inches apart uh, at yeah. most. 20, there we go. My 16 is done right. Well, at, at least so, you're 20 inches apart, not counting uh, undercover. Yeah. Yeah. Because he could just go at the very back of his deployment zone. Um, but but again, I think I think just with that extra little bit of the rules, with the fact that you've got that suspect marker on for the henchman, and the fact that you don't have to put um, all, you know, you don't have to split your crew up, um, it does make it a really different um, challenge and a, a different set of thoughts than, than what we used to have in second. And again, it's another setup that I do like. And finally, uh, we're coming on to the fourth and one that I think does have the most impact on the way that you build your crew and pl- certainly play your first turn and that is standoff so basically um with this you draw a line uh, across the middle of the board uh, not diagonally but just across the middle and then crew a has to set up within eight inches on one side of that center line and crew b has to set up within eight inches on the other side of the center line so basically right next to each other. But during the first round, models cannot perform attacks or use any traits that inflict damage. So, Jason, um, talk to us about this one. probably one of my favorite missions so far. I think it's great because um, you have... I, I don't think that you can't attack on turn one. that huge a deal. You were never... You know, usually, like, let's say you're playing Vanguard or... Uh, chance encounter maybe you'll have one model you know undercover in there take a sewer shoot someone some sniper but unless they got really close to you you're not punching so that's fine here that's more just for gameplay rounds you set up all your markers turn one then turn two it's a bloodbath uh for the generic deck we have cards that want the deployment zones that's more interesting because that's i walk up I'm in your deployment zone, then I walk out. Now I can actually, you know, we're in the free suspect murder zone. We could both place down. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's great. You find each time I play it, I'm noticing crews are just spreading across the table. Because you want some models in your deployment zone, some models out of your deployment zone. Everyone's trying to kill each other. It's a great time. So far, I haven't really built my deck any different for this mission. Um, I might include a car that involves a deployment zone because it's that easy to get into. That's basically it. What about you, Ian? So I, I agree with everything that Jason said, except that I think this is the this is one of those missions that change your crew dynamic and your um, and your deck selection. Or you can make it matter more because, like, you know that you're not going to get attacked the first turn, so that means you're only going to get attacked three rounds out of the game. Um, there's no way your dead shot or anybody else is going to shoot someone, or they're going to shoot you. So you can go out and do all the fun things you wanted to do with your crew to get out suspect markers. Um, there is, I mean, 
there's no way you shouldn't have all of your suspect markers down turn one unless your opponent takes them away. Uh, and you should be scoring. This is why I think you should have your deck uh, set up for this mission because there's no card, suspect marker card out there that you should not be able to score out of your hand. Um, so you should be able to go through, depending on how many activations you have, five to six cards scoring them the first turn because of that. Um, Batman might have a little bit of trouble with that. Um, League has sort of a little bit of trouble because most of their stuff is at the end of the round. But I think otherwise, I think you should be like, you should be able to score five cards. Easy. And if you don't, like that's kind of, then you go into the rest of the game and it's, you're probably fighting for the behind. Do you think this one changes the way you play a little bit? Because quite often, you know, first turns can be a bit cagey, but with the fact that there's no attacks actually coming in on the first turn, do you think that's going to make a change to, to how you approach the game in respect of your crew and deck as well? Um, I'm going to take this one. So, you know, turn two, it's a bloodbath, and they could just, everyone can get into you. So, yeah, you don't have to be as cagey because, you know, turn one, no one's going to attack you, but... You should also be mindful. I don't want to just base contact like four henchmen or a, their scary free agent or something. Being like, you can't punch me. Because next turn, you know, casualties on, let's go. Do you ever find that you're actually falling back towards the, the table edges out of your deployment zone rather than moving into theirs when you're playing it as well? Um, you know, almost to, to further the distance that they've got to go through to affect or remove your suspect markers if you built your deck in a specific way. I, I, I do. I mean, I, I played Suicide Squad with Riddler and a couple other um, guys for this mission, and specifically built for this one. And it's like I went to corner. I went to through his deployment zone to the opposite corner, and then like just moved everywhere on the board. So it's like. You start so close to the center, you can spread out. And if you, all you're doing is trying to score objective cards, you don't even care about attacking. I mean, you're playing like old school Riddler, but now you have a whole turn where you don't get attacked. That's at least how I, I see it in my brain. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, and yeah, if he wants to attack you and be inefficient because of X, Y, and Z, most cards that are attacking are only like one point. Like, okay, you can attack me. I'm going to do whatever I can to survive and then go over and place this objective marker next to you and score cards. Yeah. So here, here's a question for the two of you. If if um, if you're setting up an event and running something as a TO, is this the sort of thing where you want to be telling people that you're going to be using this in advance so that they can build crews towards it? Or is it the sort of thing that you would spring on people and see if they've taken it into account when building? Because to me, if we're talking about a four-round event, this and uh, what you were saying in with having a simple game fourth, this is the the game I would be playing in round two or round three. I mean, I I, I did for someone that ran a tournament. I did tell everyone what missions they're going to do, um, but I mean, I've never seen in the past like Stefan or anyone else announcing the missions. Uh, it's you have eight missions you can choose from. You should expect that you're going to play at least half of them. Because, of course. Yeah. I think this will be something they change with the bat match. Um, I'm expecting stuff to change or more objectives or however you're supposed to do 
for that because like I hearken back to like Infinity where he, crew construction is such a big deal. Batman's not that bad, at least in my brain. The deck is, um, but it's not really for your, it's more, the deck is more influenced, I think, by the event card and the opponent than the uh, deployment specifically, except for this one. This one, I think, does play into it a little bit more. So just, just touching on Infinity, because that's a game that I've not played, I played, but I've not played competitively at tournaments. Um, am I right in thinking that because of the way that you score points in that with need, sometimes needing certain types of specialist, like hackers or forward observers and things like that, models with a very specific rule to be able to actually score, that you do actually know the um, setup and the scenarios before events? Yeah. Or is that one of the options that people run? That, that is, I don't even think it's an option. I think it's like you have to, because the game breaks down if you're, if you don't know what you're going into. Um, I mean, it's the same thing where you have multiple different lists because there's not a generic list that can really do all the missions successfully. But there's their missions have like, I think, have a lot of levels to them where you have very, basically, if you took the whole deck of Batman and then laid it out as that's the objectives for the game, that's kind of what their objectives are. Um, to do from the beginning of the game. So um, at least that's my thought process kind of to kind of put it out there. So, I mean, obviously, we don't have a bat match document at the moment, and we, we've not seen one because a, a lot of tournaments aren't being run apart from obviously online or, you know, if people are sharing houses or whatever. Um, Going forward, when Batmatch starts to come out, do you think that we're going to see um, rules in there about deck construction? Um, because you don't want to have like decks being constructed in the two and a half hours that you or two hours that you've got to play the game. Uh, is, do you think it'll be a case of like a magic deck where you've got your core deck and then you've got a sideboard of cards? Um, you know, just just spitballing um, things. You know, what do you guys think? How and how we're going to approach that? I, I think we're going to have to see something about it because right on the rulebook it's so. Like, you just kind of build your deck at the start of the game. And that's fine for a pickup, but in terms of that does not work. Um, yeah, so. I mean, I could see it being fine. Because, like, literally, if you have a deck, like, you have 20-something cards plus your your generic deck. And then you should generally know what you need. Because I, I think deck construction in this game is very easy. It except is. For um, because you have, like, two options. You have a card that's a single card, and you have a card that has three. Yeah. You have to have at least four of those cards with three. So you're left with eight cards, basically, to choose from if you want single cards. Um, and, yeah, just go from there. Um, and uh, and it's just, I think this, I think deck construction, I don't think it should take like it does for other games where you're pre-building like Malifaux or something like that, where you're building your crew before the mission i don't think you need to it, it doesn't need to be that long it's like five minutes at most I, I i think people spend longer trying to choose what crew they want to do than the deck yeah I, I agree with that i i just do think it would be nice to have something written down for it at least uh and with yeah. the exception of like normal crews it's fine they have most 40 cards to pick from and that's 20 of the generics and you really don't want that um, but like for teams, I played 
like not even a whole game with Stefan, but our start of it was just him building the deck. Oh, this was on Taylor Swift somewhere, so he was slower there. But it like it it ate up a lot of time. So I don't know if they're just gonna be like, hey, you have a main deck, secondary deck, or if you have just like a few extra like a sideboard of extra cards. Um, but I'm just thinking down the line, like what if they do make an expansion pack to the generic deck and they just start making new cards for more crews, like let's say Batman gets another ten cards, just from now to like two years from now. I mean, doing those sorts of deck expansions or card expansions could be a way of, um, you know, bringing in things like, um, say, a new setting or advancing. Uh, obviously, they're not, they're, it's not like a, a, a setting where they've got their own IP and they can uh, advance their own storyline or plots or things like that and bring in cards like the uh, the season cards that they use in Guild yeah. Ball, um, where their plot cards change the way the game is affected. But just bringing things in to sort of like, well, that was Batmatch 2020, Batmatch 2021. We're releasing a new card deck, and here's 20 new generic cards available for everybody that you can now use in, in the decks. And, you know, that could, that could be something that, going forward, they, they may not have thought of, but, you know, the, the dream yeah, I mean, is there. Yeah, they could just do that for, like, here's a comic book store, here's a, a generic deck that kind of like represents it. Cross the lines, like, hey, you could t- take some cards from there, like the Long Halloween. Or yeah, I... I... I could see them releasing like they did with that campaign book for uh, first edition. Um, I could see them releasing like, "Hey, here's a campaign book with here's a here's the deck of cards that comes with it of like objectives, events, and Plots. generic cards to represent this campaign." But I, I that's farther down the line once they get everything else kind of fixed with up to date on third edition. Yeah, but that's cool. Yeah. So, anyone from Knight who's listening to this, if anyone from Knight listens to this, we've just come up with some awesome ideas for you. So, um, you know, if you'd like to credit us with those as uh, it, when they get printed in the book, uh, you know, just just let us know so that we can have our names and I'll, I'll, we'll make sure that you get the spellings right. Um, I think I think guys, we've we've covered the first four. Um, we've not gone into a huge amount of detail, but then there's, there's not a huge amount to say about them because you know it doesn't. You can't factor these things in until you're actually on the table. We can talk about them generally, but until we know how the game is actually playing and what crews you're actually up against, that's when the actual decisions and, and things start to make more sense. Um, but I think for next time, we, we said we're going to finish off talking about uh, the second half of the, the setups, and we're also going to touch on some of the event cards as well. Um, but for now, I think uh, that's a wrap. So, Jason, do you have anything else you'd um... like to add? Just, you know, I think the events definitely add more of the flair in. So it's good that the, uh, the decks, or not the decks, the uh, the deployment decks, pretty standard, basic, interesting. Uh, and also about deployment, my game against Richard, who he really knew, like, all of his stuff. I was like, whoa. Um, undercover, that doesn't happen after deployment. That's just why you're going. At least... In the rule book, that's what it sounds like. So I thought that was just kind of interesting. Um, so it's yeah. not like hidden anymore. Yeah. And so, Ian, have you got anything else that you'd like to add? Um, not really. Sadly, I'm... <laughs> nothing really to add. Okay, well, 
Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, this has been another episode of the Arkham Case Files where the inmates run the asylum. Uh, thank you very much for your time. This is an appeal on behalf of Jason Thompson. Please, please, Knight, put this man out of his misery. How long must he wait before he can have his Tim Drake? To all our listeners, get in touch with Knight. Bombard them. Jason needs Tim, and only you can help. Mm-hmm.